Okay, so there was a minister, and he had very strong opinions about alcohol consumption. And the, the congregation he served just didn't seem to be getting the message. And so he decided he was going to preach a whole sermon on the subject of temperance and why a person should not drink. And he was getting after it. This is one of those churches where the preacher can preach for like an hour. Okay? I don't know if people listen for an hour, but he preaches for an hour. So he was just getting after it, and point after point after point, going through the Bible, just railing on this subject of alcohol, and he gets to his conclusion, and he had his conclusion all mapped out, and he gets right up to the edge of the stage, and he says, if I had all the beer in the world, I would take it and I'd throw it into the river. And he goes over to the middle section, and he says, if I had all the wine in the world, I'd take it and I'd throw it into the river. And he comes over to this side, and for dramatic effect, instead of raising his voice again, he lowers, and he says, and if I had all the whiskey in the world, I would take it, and I'd throw it into the river. And he walks off the stage, and he sits down, and the song leader doesn't quite know what to do, so a little hesitantly, he gets up, and he says, uh, if you would, open up your hymn books to... Page 109 for our closing song, Shall We Gather at the River. <laughs> hey, this is our third week in a sermon series called Party People, and that is not the kind of party that we are going to have here, ladies and gentlemen. Okay? This is the Lord's house. Let's keep it above board this morning. But here's the idea. Christians, more than anybody else in the world, more than any other people group, organization, clan, tribe, group, whatever, Christians, more than anybody else in the world, have a reason to celebrate, and his name is Jesus. We're a party people, because no matter what is going on in our lives, Jesus gives us a reason to have hope. Jesus gives us a reason to have hope. So that's the idea of this Party People series. Today we're going to be studying the festival of first fruits. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23. Uh, if you don't know where Leviticus is in the Bible, Kyle Eidelman has a helpful hint to find it. He says, if you've ever set out to read through the Bible in a year, Leviticus is probably where you quit. So Leviticus chapter 23, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So open up to there, or if you'd prefer, I'll have all the text for you up here on the screen from the New Living Translation. But Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse 9, here's what we read. Then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land I am giving you, and you harvest its first crops, bring the priest a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest will lift it up before the Lord so it may be accepted on your behalf. On that same day, you must sacrifice a one-year-old lamb with no defects as a burnt offering to the Lord. With it, you must present a grain offering consisting of four quarts of choice flour moistened with olive oil. It will be a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You must also offer one quart of wine as a liquid offering. Do not eat any bread or roasted grain or fresh kernels on that day until you bring this offering to your God. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. First fruits was a celebration of Jesus. 
This festival of first fruits that God instituted way back before the Hebrew people had a land of Israel. Way back before the Messiah was born, thousands of years before he was born, the first fruits was instituted and it was a celebration of Jesus. They just didn't know it yet. So let's, let's start with this today. God gave the following instructions to the people of Israel. Now, I know, and, and guys especially, when you hear the word instructions, you translate it, right? You translate it. You, you get the instruction manual and you say, I'm going to set aside the suggestion manual. Or you hear these words instructions and you say, these were suggestions. I get it. I get it. Right? You set aside the suggestion manual as you open this thing from Ikea that you've got in the mail or Wayfair, whatever you're into. Right? Uh, but you get the thing from Ikea, you set aside the suggestion manual, put it together, and you thank the nice people at Ikea for giving you three extra screws and one extra bolt, right? So you have it all together. By the way, this is Mother's Day. If you ordered your wife something from the internet, give her the gift of putting it together by using the instruction manual, Okay? Just give her that gift, that peace of mind to be able to sit in the furniture, okay? That's okay when you have something from Ikea. But understand, when we see God giving instructions, recognize that those aren't instructions, those are commands. Recognize that when God gives instructions, they're commands. They are commands to be obeyed. And what God has done here is he has commanded the Israelites to celebrate. He said, this is my command to you. Celebrate. He says that at the beginning, and then he concludes the passage by saying, this is a permanent commandment for you and your people. Do this from generation to generation, wherever you live. Always celebrate is what the Lord commands. So he commanded the Israelites to celebrate. Here's what he says to us. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. God has commanded us to be a party people. He has commanded us to. And I know that some of you are recoiling at this. You're seeing those words up there and you're seeing always be joyful. And your, your instinct is to recoil, to turn away from that. Thankful in all circumstances. That may be the will of God, but that's not the way of life. And in that moment, what we're doing is we're setting aside the suggestion manual. I don't need, I don't need God's suggestion manual manual. It's probably a good idea, but it just doesn't seem realistic. I know life's hard. I know it is. But as we study the festival of first fruits, my prayer is this, that you'll leave seeing that we can be joyful in all circumstances, just as God has instructed us. Then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land that I'm going to give you, 
harvest its first crops, bring the priest a bundle of grain from the first cutting of the grain harvest. So when you enter, when you enter the land that I'm going to give you, and you harvest its first crop. All right, let, let's talk here for just a second, because that may sound like November when you're done harvesting, but that's not the case. The first fruits is a celebration of the harvest that God will bring. So this festival happens this time of year, right around Easter. Now, farmers, I need a little bit of participation from you this morning. How many of you had your 2019 harvest finished up on Easter Sunday? Show of hands. How many of you were planted, fertilized, uh, picked, planted, delivered to the silos, all of those things? You were done with your harvest in 2019 on Easter Sunday. Are you not listening or are you not done? (laughs) We haven't even thought about planting yet. You realize how wet it is? We we traded our combine for an ark. This is not a celebration of what God has done. It's a celebration of of what God will do. The Israelites haven't had their harvest yet either. In fact, their barley has just started to come in. So they're just getting started. They don't have a harvest to thank God for yet. They're thanking God for the harvest they will have. They're not thanking God for 2018. They're thanking God for what will happen in the fall of 2019. There's a Bible word for that. It's a really technical Bible word. You know what it is? Faith. Faith. And while they're thanking God for the harvest of the crops, even more than that, they're thanking God for his presence in their lives. And so here's the principle. The Israelites were thanking God for what he was going to do. For what he was going to do. You ever thanked God for what he was going to do? I don't know if I've ever asked myself that question, but as I started preparing this sermon, I thought, I wonder if I've ever thanked God for what he was going to do. And I struggled with that. I'm not trying to guilt you. The thought never really occurred to me either. It it seems a bit presumptuous sometimes to thank God for what he's going to do. Let me give you a few examples. God, thank you for getting me out of bed this fall. I don't mean to be dark or anything like that, but there are things that could happen that would prevent me from getting out of bed this fall. Seems a little presumptuous to thank God for that. Uh, God, thank you for the fact that our finances, finances are just fine, that our heads are above water. God, thank you for that this fall. It almost seems like I'm inviting trouble, right? And it, it just seems odd. Or, or maybe a, another direction. God, thank you for the fact that all of my student loans are going to be paid off in November. No I'm not saying that. Like, it feels like we're entering the realm of late night TV preachers when we start trying to play that game. And we can do that with just about anything if we're cynical enough. It feels kind of weird and kind of arrogant to thank God for things that he hasn't done yet. Let me give you one that you can pray with absolute conviction. Thank you, God, for your presence in my life. Thank you, God, for your presence in my life. 
It's not presumptuous to think that the God of all creation who was and is and is to come will be a part of your life in the future. In fact, the only way he won't be is if you run away from him. And even still, just like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, our God will be waiting, eagerly waiting for the first sign that you were returning home. So thank you, God, for your presence in my life. And I think, I think that's what the Israelites were celebrating in this festival of first fruits. God has said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that's what the Israelites were celebrating. And that's what we're celebrating as the party people of God. That he will never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. Now, I want to look at the rest of the instructions for the festival. Bring the priest a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest will lift it up before the Lord so it may be accepted on your behalf. On that same day, you must sacrifice a one-year-old male lamb with no defects as a burnt offering to the Lord. With it, you must present a grain offering consisting of four quarts of choice flour moistened with olive oil, and it will be a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So this is God's instruction manual for the festival of first fruits. It's also, it's also a pretty good instruction manual for how to build a church. So the first thing that people would do is bring a bundle of grain from the first cutting of the grain, and the priest would lift it up before God so that it would be accepted. So waving the bundle of grain before God was a way of recognizing him as the one who gave the harvest. God, this is from you. I mean, I pay attention to a lot, but God, I recognize that this is from you. Thank you. It's a way of expressing that God is the one who gives it. Uh, James said it this way in the New Testament. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. That's what the priests were saying when they waved the bundles of grain. God, this is from you. You know what that kind of thinking is called? It's called faith. So the waving of the grain bundles was an expression of faith. And they would do this, this this act of faith so that their offering might be accepted. This teaches us an important lesson. I said, remember this festival of first fruits, good recipe. It's a good instruction manual for how to build a church. This teaches us a lesson. You can't have a church without faith. You can't have a church without faith can't have a church without faith in what God has done. You can't have a church without faith in what God will do. You can't have a church without faith. And it's by faith that the Israelites praised God for the harvest that would come. And it's by faith that they presented the lamb, the trusting that its sacrifice was enough for that time. So they started with faith and then they sacrificed the lamb. Why'd they start with faith? Because if they sacrificed the lamb and didn't have faith, it wouldn't do any good. It wouldn't do any good if they sacrificed the lamb and didn't believe. 
Likewise, the sacrifice of Jesus, who, by the way, was described as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The sacrifice of Jesus does nothing for us unless we believe, unless we have faith. Now, Here's where things get interesting. The festival of first fruits was a celebration of what God was going to do, right? The lamb is killed, right? And this is a celebration of the fact that the lamb of God will come back to life. It doesn't matter what else happens or what doesn't happen. If the resurrection happens, we can celebrate. My life may not go exactly as I've planned. Your life may not go exactly as it's planned, and some days we will struggle. Some days we will struggle mightily. But if Jesus has resurrected from the grave, no matter what we struggle with, there is a hope that we can lean on in all circumstances. And because of that, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean in Jesus' name. Our foundation is Christ. And what happens because of that? What happens because of that? On that same day, you must sacrifice a one-year-old male lamb with no defects as a burnt offering to the Lord. That's a description of Jesus. Here's us. With it, you must present a grain offering consisting of four quarts of choice flour moistened with olive oil. A grain offering consisting of choice flour. You know what isn't in the choice flour? Yeast. Leaven. There's no leaven. Why? Because leaven's a corrupting agent. It makes us bitter. It makes us sour. It increases the volume of the bread without adding any substance to it. It affects every aspect of the bread, a lot like sin does in our lives. And so this grain offering, this flour offering is choice flour, free from any leaven. And when we're baptized, God removes the leaven of sin from our lives by giving us a new life. And so we're presented to God as an offering of choice flour. But not just choice flour. Choice flour mixed with olive oil. Choice flour mixed with olive oil. Oil has a special significance in the Bible. It is a symbol of Holy Spirit. It's a symbol of Holy Spirit. Let me explain to you what I mean. Um, Jesus pretty clearly explains it. In Matthew 25, he says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all came, became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. And the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough oil for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. And then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. And later the other five bridesmaids returned, and they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. 
Jesus sums up this parable this way. So you too must keep watch for you don't know the day or hour of my return. Jesus is saying, if you want to make sure you're ready for my return, make sure you're full of the Holy Spirit. Make sure you're full of the Holy Spirit. Because when I return, it's too late to get ready. It's no accident that God says you will present an offering of choice flour mixed with olive oil. Here's what he's saying in that moment. Because of the sacrifice of the Lamb, you will be a choice people, free from the leaven of sin, filled with the Holy Spirit. Years later, after Jesus had resurrected, Peter was preaching a sermon. Pretty good sermon, by the way. A group of people said this. They said, Brothers, what must we do to be saved? And here's how Peter replied. He said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Choice flour mixed with olive oil. See, if you believe in Jesus, you can be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of Holy Spirit. Choice flour mixed with olive oil. This festival... It's a pretty good instruction manual for how to build a church. Let me sum up everything I just said here. The festival of first fruits is based on faith that the sacrifice offered would be enough. Then you present the choice flour and olive oil as an offering. The church is this a group of people built on the foundation of Christ, free from the leaven of sin, filled with the Holy Spirit, and eager to thank God for what he has done, and for what he will do. That's what the festival of first fruits is about. That's what the church is about. So based on all of that, I want to share with you two of my deepest held convictions. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, I believe that he lived without sin. I believe that he died for all sin. I believe that he resurrected from the dead. I believe in Jesus. Because of that, I will celebrate Jesus. That's what the Festival of First Fruits is all about faith and celebration. That's what the church is all about. So church, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Sometimes that's a hard thing to do though. We get focused on the negative. We get focused on the things that aren't going right or the things that, that put us down the things we wish went differently. We start thinking of those things instead of celebrating who God is and what He's done and what He will do. And we get pessimistic and discouraged. Instead of thanking God for what He hasn't done yet, we get angry at God for what He hasn't done. Some of you feel like that today. You thought you would be somewhere else in life by now. You thought your marriage would be better, that you'd argue less. You thought your kids might listen better. You thought you'd have that promotion by now. 
You thought you'd be out of debt by now. You thought you'd have better insurance by now. And on and on and on it goes. And when we focus on that, it's easy. It's so easy to get pessimistic. And it's so easy to get discouraged. And we end up mad at God. But can I challenge you with something today? I know that you have unmet expectations in your life. But unmet expectations will never put Jesus back in the grave. I know that not everything's perfect. But Jesus is still Lord. And your unmet expectations will never seal that tomb again with him inside. He is alive forevermore. And we can hope in that. Your life may not be going as planned. In fact, it may be dramatically different than the life you dreamed of. Harder in every conceivable way. But there isn't a problem you have that will change the fact that God loves you and has secured your redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Your life may be hard. I'm sure it is. In fact, Jesus tells us in this world, we will have trouble. Not maybe, we will. But listen to what he says next. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take courage, because I have overcome the world. I know you have unmet expectations, things you'd like to accomplish, disappointments, regrets, and I know you have pain, but take courage, for Jesus has overcome the world. Life is hard. And we have to deal with that every day, but our hope doesn't come from what we accomplish. Our hope doesn't come from what we have. Our hope doesn't come from meeting our expectations. Our hope comes from what Christ has already accomplished and what God will accomplish in our lives. For that reason, we can always celebrate because nothing will ever put Jesus back in the grave. For that reason, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to do that again, but I want to do it a little bit differently this time. I want you to stand with me. And we're going to read these verses together. We're going to read these verses together. You can follow my lead. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead, but here's the deal. I need, I need you to understand something, okay? We're not going to read these verses like the Pledge of Allegiance, okay? I pledge allegiance to the flag. No, there's a lot more hope in these verses. So give it a little bit of something, all right? This is church. We are the party people of God. Let's get after it. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Go ahead and stay standing. That is why we are the party people of God. So if you need to experience the joy that comes from putting your hope in Christ, I want to invite you to come forward and be baptized today to accept the sacrifice of the lamb that was made for you, to believe, to have faith that it was enough to cleanse you of your sin, to believe that because of the sacrifice that Jesus has made, you can be presented to God as an offering of choice flower 
and be mixed with the olive oil. That is the Holy Spirit. If that's you, I want to invite you to come forward during this song and be baptized today. Now let's sing together.